ghouls. Time for another episode of the show. In this edition, uh, I have Ed Moore back with me, and he and I are going to talk about an interesting comic book, one of DC's anthologies, uh, House of Secrets, and it's a very significant issue uh, for a couple of reasons, and uh, Ed and I will talk about that as well during the show. So sit tight, and I'll be right back after a clip here, and we'll begin the show. Annabelle, our guests are here and fortunately still alive. Is your face on yet? Dust and dirt everywhere and the water barely trickles. Couldn't you have had the place clean? Atmosphere, darling. You know how ghosts are. They never tidy up. And that's a very fetching outfit, but hardly suitable for a party. I'm not going to the party. Mm, this spend the night ghost party was your idea, remember? Since it's going to cost me $50,000, I want you to have fun. The party was my idea until you invited all the guests. Why all these strangers? Why none of our friends? Friends? Do we have any friends? No, your jealousy took care of that. I had a reason for inviting each guest. I wanted kind of a cross-section. From psychiatrist to typist, and from drunk to jet pilot. They share one thing, they all need money. Now let's see if they're brave enough to earn it. And you call this a party? Could be. Why do you always do that? It spoils the champagne. It might explode. Never does. Would you guarantee that? That isn't funny, Frederick. Make a good headline. Playboy kills wife with champagne cork. Will you join me? No, thank you. Just a sip might improve your humor. My humor is fine, thanks. And I haven't poisoned it. It's always good to know that. Have some. You'll enjoy the party more. Welcome back to another episode of the Bronze Age of Horror Comics. And I'm here with some more super awesome DC Comics anthology horror. And to uh, assist me and help be my uh, spirit guide throughout this is uh, my good buddy, Ed Moore. How are you, Ed? Doing pretty well this evening, Billy. How are you doing? I am fantastic. And you, my friend, and another good buddy of mine, Jeremiah, uh, have, uh, you know... uh, jumped on some of these anthologies with me and I couldn't be happier because I am having a great time, you know, reading some new comics. Some of them I have read before, like uh, one we're going to talk about a little bit later, not right now, (laughs) but a little bit later this evening. But this one was brand new to me and I really had a ball with it. And I'll tell you what, DC, I know a lot of people gravitate more towards Marvel in the Bronze Age, especially with the horror because they had, you know, the big horror characters like, you know, uh, Werewolf by Night and Dracula and stuff right. like that. But I, I think people need to give DC their due with these anthology books like The House of Secrets, right? Right, yeah. And and keep in mind also that The House of Secrets and The House of Mystery, those uh, kind of uh, masthead DC Bronze Age horror books, gave us Cain and Abel, who have certainly been around and have been in some other uh, pretty high-profile books as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you know, speaking of Abel, <laughs> you 
Yeah, here we are. We're going to talk about House of Secrets 81. And this is a uh, cover dated August, September 1969. And it has a cover by the one and only Neil Adams. So uh, let's talk about this cover here first. What do you think of this one? Uh, it it is it is definitely looking Neil Adams for sure. Um, it's uh, the House of Secrets in particular has this uh, uh, alive look. It looks uh, animate, I guess would be the word if you if you wanted to throw the the three dollar word out there. Um, but yet, um, this also you we we are seeing what's going on from the street side of a metal fence. Mm-hmm. So you have that metal fence, and and you can see it. But it, it's almost I don't I, it's the the three dimensionality I think of it is is what really grabs me. Um, the fence is there, but yet your your focus is certainly on the other side of the fence. Even though you know distinctly you're on this side of the fence, so to speak. So that, and then, like I say, the 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 way that the house looks like it's well living, which is debatable that it is or isn't. But you know, we'll we'll give into the way that the House of Secrets is written. It's it's a living entity, just like all the little peoples and things that we really hone in on with the stories. And uh, I think Neil did a, a really good job of capturing that in this cover. Yeah, this is an excellent cover. He, he, like you said, it's just kind of a little bit of a perspective shot where you're looking from a street level through a fence at two kids and a dog uh, on this like pathway that leads up to presumably the house of secrets. And there are these scary looking trees on the left and right. And there's lightning flashing. And I love, I don't know if Neil Adams did the coloring, I can't really find credits to who the colorist was on this cover, but they even did a real nice effect with the lightning flashing and it's, you know, reflecting off of the metal bars of this fence here too, or this gate. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely adds to that perspective of there's a, this side and a, that side of this, this fence, uh, the, the, yeah, the, the metal fence again, that of course is drawn in two dimensions, but yeah, that light, that shadowing gives it a, a three dimensional effect. Yeah, even on the kids' faces and hands, you get mm-hmm. the lightning, too, there. But the house itself is interesting. I didn't notice this until we started talking about it right now, but it almost looks like the house itself almost looks like a demonic face with the two upper windows as eyes and then the, the door there, doorway there, like as teeth, right? Right, and the, and the trees on either side are akin to arms and, and clutching, clawing kind of hands. So. Mm-hmm. The whole thing together, you know, again, adding to that that concept that we do see a little bit in uh, in at least one or maybe a couple of the stories inside that the House of Secrets, uh, if this is it, and I, I believe it, it's meant to be, is mm-hmm. uh, a, an entity. It's it's uh, animate. Yeah. And then it does have, a, you know, the masthead, the House of Secrets. And I think uh, the uh, big letterist uh, Gaspar Saladino is the one that did this logo. And it says there's no escape from the House of Secrets. And then we have a. Uh, Abel over here in the left-hand corner underneath the DC logo. And he has, uh, he's looking pretty sinister. And he has what looks like, I'm, I'm thinking it's supposed to be like a cane in his hand. But when you look at it, like there's a little skull on the end of it. And the cane almost looks like a spine. It's kind of creepy. A true? Okay, yeah, I hadn't noticed <laughs> that. But yeah, it looks like maybe that is the spine to the skull uh, that is at the, well, it would be the end of the cane. But it's it's curved like a like an old school, like umbrella handle 
curved. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, facing down, so the handle goes into the top of the skull. But, yeah, the handle itself looks rather spiny. Yeah. Yeah, it's creepy looking. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's the cover. Again, this was very early in Neil Adams' career, in 1969, and he was already brilliant. So this is oh, how yeah. he, you knew he was going to be one of the greats. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, all right, well, yeah, let's just jump into this here. So this one actually has uh, three uh, stories in it, three comic book stories in it. There's actually a prose uh, story in here as well that we'll talk about. But the, the three comic book star, uh, stories in here are led off by Don't Move It. And this one is a uh, Mike Friedrich writer and the penciler Jerry Grandinetti, inker George Rousseau's. Uh, so yeah, this is a pretty good one here to lead off. And don't move it. And they're talking about moving the House of Secrets. And uh, there's a quick little synopsis here on DC Fandom. It just says this story provides the background of the House of Secrets, who built it, and its history, and leads into the next story, which talks about Abel's taking possession of it. So, uh, big picture. This is a pretty good story here, right? Yeah, I, I thought it was for particularly. I think it's it's really a, a important story to the mythos of the House of Secrets itself, and of course, moving forward as we're going to find out for the uh, Abel character as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting the way it starts out, and I do want to say that Abel had one other tiny little appearance in DC Special Number Four, uh, but this is like his first appearance in House of Secrets, and this is really where the House of Secrets became like an actual house and him being the caretaker this is it so i imagine this is probably a pretty expensive uh comic book <laughs> yeah if yeah. you could find it out in the wild yeah you you'd probably have to pay up for it for sure mm-hmm. so yeah so yeah this is a really good one and <laughs> i like how it starts out too the very first page is you know four horizontal panels and uh, we see uh, a gas station attendant here and he's kind of working the graveyard shift and he's sleeping like half asleep and all of a sudden something comes uh, rumbling down the road here and uh, his hat goes flying off his head, and there's a real close-up on his face and everything. And <laughs> this is a pretty good scene here, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I was curious there at first about the um, the sound effects, the clump. And I'm like, what in the world could be making a clumping noise? And even, you know, a couple pages, what does it take here? Yeah, two two more pages in, you finally see. And I'm still questioning the clump noise that was being made. I'm like, <laughs> I I don't know that that method of moving makes that noise but okay we'll go with it you know <laughs> yeah it's kind of creepy the the guy starts like running for his life and then uh, we see two faces and uh, the one uh, guy says whoo did you see that guy and the other guy says i told you you got some kind of monster back there but it's your business what you do i just move them and he says it'll cost me a mint but it'll sure be worth it and then like you said you flip the page and you know story page three there we see there's the House of Secrets and all its glory. And this guy has some kind of I've never seen anything like this before. I've seen uh, certain buildings moved before, but not with this uh, kind of uh, device like this almost looks like the kind of uh, vehicle that you saw in oh the movie with Jack Nicholson when he's up in the frozen house. And, you know, he gets killed. Yeah, that movie, it, that that vehicle in there that the guy drives. That's what it looks like. Yeah, like like a, a one of these big Arctic things, like a I think it's called maybe like a snow cat or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, da- down here in the maybe they do over in the Rockies, but here in the eastern part of the country, you'll see something like this on the ski resorts, also uh, mm-hmm. smaller versions, but they're kind of shaped that same. It's it's a almost like a tank on caterpillar treads, kind of. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and, and he's pulling uh, the house on like, we'll say, you know, some kind of wheeled, almost cart-like thing. So everything has wheels and there's treads. And and so I, I'm I'm still confused as to what in all of that is making a clump clump noise. <laughs> I, I, I still I, I just don't get that. I mean, yeah. you know, and and I I imagine that the the effect is as this thing is walking. You know, this big shape that comes up over the rise towards the gas station, and mm-hmm. the clump is a footstep. So and, and you know I get that, but how this configuration of of machinery makes that noise i i just i don't get i don't have to get it you know i can <laughs> i can work with it but so I, i'm i just i would love to talk to uh someone and ask them you know these two things here together why why did you how did you get from clump to this kind of configuration of moving the house i, I don't mm-hmm. the, the connection is lost I, i'm not making that but yeah, really. But I do like how uh, on that page, you know, when we see the House of Secrets for the first time, he has, you know, the, the name of the story, don't move it in the background. And it kind of like scrawls along the landscape. I really like that effect. Mm-hmm. With a with a moon uh, ki- kind of like some Picasso-esque kind of moon drawn in there. Not the nice, you know, clear circle uh, lit yellow or anything like that, but it's kind of. I don't know. It, it, the The sky and the moon just looks kind of freaky, and so, mm-hmm. you know, n- normally we'll we'll start when we look. We'll start looking at the top of the page and move down. So initially, the night and the moon is off. I, it just looks weird, and then you move on down, and and it the weirdness just continues for the rest of this full page spread until you get down to where the text is of the the people speaking there. Yeah, it's a. Uh... Yeah, very abstract, the the, the moon there <laughs> yeah. in the sky. But I do like the effect of the headlights there he has, too. They're blasting on the front of this thing. And uh, I find it interesting that this uh, moving company, Home Transport Incorporated, it's called that. Uh, the guy is on the outside of the vehicle <laughs> <laughs> watching the house here. I'm thinking, yeah, I don't know how safe that is. Uh, yeah, you, you would think that the dude driving would be like, no, you need to get in here, sir. We, we can't keep going if you're out there. Yeah, I'm not insured for this crap. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so the guy, as it's rolling down the hills, he thinks he's just going to go into the house while it's on the back of this transport. And he goes in the house. And how about that uh, middle panel there on page four? Man, is that cool? Where it's again, it's like there's an effect of like the flashlight, which I'm not sure the flashlight would be glowing back at this guy. So the perspective's a little off there, but I do still like that quite a bit. Yeah, he's he's yeah, like. I get four lit or I guess, but yet the light is shining away from him. So, yeah. And again, you know, like some other things, you, you kind of question how that works, you know, it, it, in, in real life. But then, you know, it's a comic book and I'm in it to be entertained. And so I'm like, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll run with it. I see what you're doing and I feel what you're trying to get me to feel. So that's all that matters. Yeah, it's one of those things that until I have to read a comic to kind of look for things I like and don't like and talk about it, it doesn't even occur to me. I just look at that and I'm like, wow, that's really cool. And I just keep moving on. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, ooh, spooky. Okay, yeah, he's in here and oh, yeah, yeah, I got you. Yeah, and it's funny, too, how the house starts acting kind of kooky, man. There's like this wild smoke effect going around and uh, all of a sudden the... uh, the fireplace starts like crumpling behind him and doing all this crazy stuff. And he's like, I'm going to go upstairs. There's this crazy room up there. And he goes upstairs and uh, on the second floor, there's a room up there right now. There's a padlock on it. And of course uh, he can't obviously get in there. So he's like, well, I guess I'm not getting in there. And they just keep chugging along here. And 
<laughs> I like how the guy on uh, page five says, naturally, the real estate agent thought it was insanity for me to try and transport the house to another state. Isn't that wild? And the guy, <laughs> to tell you the truth, Mr. Barkus, I don't like the looks of this monster. That agent guy may be a bit right. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I guess because it's it's almost like it, it's like they're um, they're they're working against the house. It, it feels even up to this point that the house uh, doesn't want to, but yet, yeah, you know, they're they're moving the house against its will, essentially. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, as if a, a house can have a will in real life, of course. But yeah, so I, I'm sure it's you know shifting and moving. And we know there on the the panel where we first saw the house that it was even making a noise, like a a, a moan e kind of thing. So that the house is really is is balking at what is happening and i i think that's part of what this driver although here in the in the very next panel uh mr barkus hears something that is pretty obvious and i think that that driver is lying when he says he can't hear it he's just saying that because he just wants to move and, and get it over with and, and get on with his day so yeah he doesn't want to deal with whatever's moaning oh, inside this yeah whatever's house. making that noise i'll just ignore it and it'll go away and mr barkus can't because it's like well I, I own this house now, and, and you know, it's doing some stuff that houses aren't supposed to do. Yeah, and this Barkus guy, he, like I said, like you were just saying, he hears this moaning or whatever. He's like, this is crazy. I'm going to go in there and check it out. He goes in, and the next thing you know, he's, like, suddenly, like, attacked almost in the shadows, and something grabs him, and he drops his flashlight. And, again, for us, we're just looking at it, and it's just like, it looks just like a, a black shape, like, almost like the knight grabbing him, you know, inside this house and even says it's like, you know, you know, choking him and this and that. And he goes flying and smashes right through a window and he's like half outside and half inside. And all of a sudden he's like, Oh, it was, it was just a drape. And he's like, but how did it move to grab me? And he's mm -hmm. like, you know, really getting like kind of freaked out at this point. And all of a sudden he's like, you know, he says to the, <laughs> the guy that's helping him move the house, nothing's going to stop me now. I'm going to get into that room. Cause he thinks whatever's, you know, driving the whole house and him nutty here has to do with whatever's in this room behind this padlock and he pulls out a pistol the, all right the driver yeah. looks like he's like holy crap he's like what are you doing with that <laughs> he's scared that's a good panel yep yeah yeah I, I don't i don't think the the driver expected his uh his fare i guess you could call it to, yeah to pull a pistol and go attack the house you know essentially <laughs> that's what he's doing it's like what is going on <laughs> yeah he goes back to that room you know it has the padlock on it and uh, shoots at it and he fires away at the lock and it doesn't work and he goes it still won't open something eerie's going on I'm getting out of here and he goes running out of there like a maniac and the driver he's gone mad running down the road Mr. Barkus Mr. Barkus and the guy just takes off and keeps running and then uh, you know the house it starts going a little crazy again you start to hear all these noises and stuff and the driver even says to him house the house is shaking again better check the rigging and I don't know if the house, I'm assuming it somehow broke away from that snowcat type vehicle, whatever you want to call it. And it's just on the wheels. So it starts chasing basically the guy down the road, like on these rollers, like it's going to kill him. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah. I don't quite know how it got like passed because Marcus ran away from the front of the towing vehicle. Right. Mm -hmm. So the, the house on, on the cart would have been on the other side of the towing vehicle. 
Yeah. But then to get to Marcus, the house is in front of the towing vehicle, going down the hill following it. And again, it's like, well, you know, I'm not sure how that would work, but it worked. And I get what you're doing. So we'll, we'll just move ahead. <laughs> yeah. But it's funny on uh, story page eight, there is a, you know, a shot of the house coming down after him. And the guy's like, what, what? And flip the page and he starts running down the road and it's coming after him. And he's like, it's after me. And here we go again with the clump, clump sound. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it's running after him. Okay. I, I get it. Okay. And yeah. Clump, clump. And then it's laughing, unless that's supposed to be him. But I don't think it is because the sound effect is around the house. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't think it's him either. Yeah. And it chases him and chases him right off of a cliff. And I guess that's the end of Barkus. <laughs> but the house stopped. Yeah, right on the edge of this cliff. Yeah, the house, the house didn't go over the cliff, but but it stopped. Barkus went over the cliff, so. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> I love it. But, yeah, that segues into, it's just called then the House of Secrets. And, you know, the uh, car speeding towards the Kentucky state line. And then this part is uh, written by Jerry Conway. And the art is by Bill Drought. Uh, letters John Costanza. And this is, uh, like we said, we're going to get introduced here to uh, Abel. He's with this uh, real estate agent guy who uh, we're going to get into him more on him later. But he's uh, helping Abel uh, to move into the House of Secrets here, which I don't know if it's still supposed to be on that cliff where we saw it last or where the heck it is. I, the, the only thing that the two really have in common is the reference to the uh, being near the Kentucky state line. Yeah. Yep. So at the beginning of this first story, there was a sign that said that. And then there's a little narration box at the end that says that the house um, and the state line is still 200 yards away. So I guess what we're supposed to take from it is that the house does not want to be in Kentucky, right? <laughs> or it doesn't want to leave Kentucky. I, I'm not sure which way it is, but for some reason, it, it doesn't want to negotiate that border on whichever side. So it, it stopped short, whichever way it was going. And then, yeah, the second story picks up with that reference uh, what is on a sign there on the side of the road. So I guess moving forward with the House of Secrets, the Kentucky state line will be important, but I, I, I'm i not sure why. Uh, did, uh, like, did the, the dude that originally built the house, was he like from Kentucky and he built it in Kentucky so it doesn't want to leave? Yeah, well, that's what I was thinking too, because I thought, oh, I, okay. the first story, I thought to myself, it was 200 yards before the state line. Okay. But, when, but on this first page here where it says House of Secrets and you see the car coming, the, the, the car's coming towards the reader and it says Kentucky State Line to me as if they're leaving the state. So I'm not sure. <laughs> well, or it, it would fit if, if you want to think about the fact that the house doesn't want to leave. They're yeah. coming from outside the state, driving into the state, and this is the Kentucky State Line. And so – um, if in, in in the way we're looking at this first panel, 200 yards to the right off the screen, off the off the panel would be where the house is sitting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, would, probably. And, and that would jive with all of that about, you know, the, the house not wanting to to leave the, the state and, and stopping 200 yards away and all that, because presumably the way everything is drawn, the car is driving from left to right in the panel passes the state line continuing right and then the next panel it pulls up next to the house so i guess that kind of um we see a big panel here of the house and the road but the the sign isn't there so 
I guess all of that would flow logically if you look at it that way. But like mm-hmm. you said, you could look at it the reverse, and there's no way to tell which one is the way we're really supposed to be looking at it. Yeah, I almost feel like it, the House didn't want to leave Kentucky, and that's where it is. It's like right on the edge of from Kentucky to, I don't know, what what else is right over there, Tennessee or Ohio? What, whichever way it's going, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, which again, I guess is an important and, – and I – I, I think I remember correctly in that the original builder of this house was a an old Civil War general from Kentucky. So I guess that would fit that the house doesn't want to leave that state. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So I do like how uh, the two of them, there's a shot on that very first story page where we see the house and the two men are standing outside it talking. And the house looks really huge and tall, like it has three or four floors to it, <clears> four <throat> stories to it. And you see the two little guys there at the bottom and there's a car and the headlights are on the ground and all you see are their shapes in like a light blue color in the omnibus edition I'm reading from. But I do like that panel. It just looks really cool. Yeah, the the house looks huge. And I, I'm I'm thinking, well, isn't it just a two story house? I mean, just a, you know, a normal <laughs> two story. This is almost like skyscraper house in, in proportion. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess maybe the House of Secrets is, you know, flexing a little bit there to make itself look <laughs> big and bad. I, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, there's a tree there in the on the left hand side and the moon with some clouds in front of it and a cemetery. It looks really creepy. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, the two of them start moving the stuff in and uh, all of a sudden uh, the guy's like, what is in this, you know, like chest we're moving in or it's really heavy. And the guy says, what have you got in here? Bricks? And he goes, no, books. Stories are a hobby of mine, you might say. And the guy goes, yeah, I know. It runs in the family. <laughs> and they start talking back and forth for a minute with each other. And then all of a sudden, Abel says, huh? Did did you hear? I, I... And you see, hello, Abel. And you turn a page, and there's Cain. <laughs> this is right, great. yeah. Already in the house waiting for him, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's like, hope I didn't frighten you, little brother. And he's like, frighten me? No, not at all. And he looks scared. <laughs> but uh, yeah, good stuff here between the two of them. And all of a sudden, Abel's like, uh, the real estate agent who brought me here. And Kane's like, what are you talking about? What agent? And he's like, what do you mean? That one right over there. And this is really crazy where the guy, he's just a ghost. And he turns into like this like little monster almost looking face. And then this giant face and Kane's like, I don't see what you're talking about. Like he pretends like he doesn't know what he's talking about, but I think he does. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I, I think he he sees and and knows what's going on there. He can tell. Um, I had a question um, mm-hmm. on on the next page after the ghost blows up, uh-huh. where he is uh, superimposed on the side of the house. That first big panel on that page. Yeah. Over here on the left hand side under the tree, who is that? Yeah, I wasn't sure either because uh, okay. there's yeah there's nobody else in this story. It's just that's all that story's about until it leads into the next one. So I don't know if that's supposed to be a statue in that cemetery or. Oh, okay. I guess that could be it. It's a it's a grave marker that maybe that's an angel. Um, yeah. Or something could like that. Be. Okay. Yeah, because you know normally that person would be like maybe the narrator of the story because they're watching and then yeah. relaying the story to us. But all the narrators are right here in Cain and Abel, and they're inside the house. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, I I think I like your idea that that must be something related to the cemetery. That's just another marker, or or maybe that's um. Do, are you familiar with Doctor Who? Uh, slightly, just a little the, bit. Th- there's there's a, a newer character from this newer run uh, called uh, Weeping Angels, and they're statuary that if you look at them, they don't move, but when you're not looking at them, they move in to kill you. So. Oh, I got somebody that. always has to be watching them. Otherwise, they will move in and, and 
kill people in the party. So there's always <laughs> the, well, if they fall asleep or they blink and, and that, that was the thing people would blink and it would be a couple steps closer and they'd blink again and it would be even closer. And so, but yeah, I'd, I, I'm, I'm making a joke wondering if, Oh, well that's a weeping angel, but this was <laughs> dozens of years before that even came up. So that's yeah. Cool. Yeah. I'm not sure because it's almost like the way the figure is uh, colored they almost wanted it to stand out like it yeah. did have some significance, you know, because the rest of the, the gravestones and everything are like a purple kind of shade in this uh, uh, in this edition. So I, but that that's you know, why. Why is that if it's a statue, not purple? You know what I mean? It, it does, yeah, they did want to make it stand out a little bit for some reason, but it never really turns into anything. <laughs> OK, well, it wasn't just me that wondered that. OK, no, oh, but I love it when Cain and Abel talk Abel when he's talking about the real estate agent, he became part of the house. He was always part of the house. And, and Kane, what are you raving about brother Abel? And he's like, didn't you see, didn't you see what happened? And he goes, Kane, I saw nothing except you turn into a quivering coward, but then you were always a milksop. <laughs> yeah. And, and from, from this point forward, because this is, and I, I don't know if you said it at the beginning of the show, but yeah, well, yeah, you did. But basically, this is the first uh, appearance of Abel, except for just a very small part in a, a showcase issue. Mm -hmm. um, so moving forward, we find out now, you know, we have found out these two are brothers. And this strong personality and weak personality is is always the way they interact that I have ever seen from this point moving forward when these two are together. That's always the way they're represented. Yeah, I mean, they're usually separate because they're in their own books. Right. You know, House of Mystery and House of Secrets. So I'm guessing because this was the first Abel here, they thought, let's throw Kane in there, too. And, you know, they do have some other uh, uh, books. And every once in a while, one of the splash pages in one book or the other, they would have both of them there. But uh, I do like how uh, Abel's like, I'll show you, Kane, a story. You remember how we used to try to scare each other as kids? You know, I'm going to mm -hmm. tell you a really scary story. And on the very bottom of that page where he's saying this, you can see Kane. He's looking out the window and you can still hear that ghostly whatever it was laughing. Ha 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 ha. And he has like kind of a worried look on his face like he is scared. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just just like normally Abel is only Abel looks rather uh, normal, let's say. And Kane is the one that looks afraid. Mm hmm. Yeah. So that, again, it segues right into uh, Abel's story that he's going to tell us, and it's called Aaron Phillips Photo Finish. And again, Jerry Conway writer, but this time it's uh, Jack Sparling pencils and Bill Drought inks and John Costanza letters. And uh, yeah, this is a really good one. This is uh, Abel here, you know, breaking out in his, you know, first ever story that he's going to tell us uh, in the uh, in the House of Secrets here. So. Uh, let me tell you what this one's all about. So, <laughs> like I said, this one's called Aaron Phillips Photo Finish. And it says, Abel tells Kane a story about a photographer who takes blackmail photos being sent out to photograph the House of Secrets. But the house swallows him up, leaving only a photograph of the man's shocked expression as the only ever evidence he was ever inside. So this is a pretty cool story here. I wouldn't say it's like super scary uh, like Abel thinks it is. But it is a really good story because it's kind of like a revenge story. And I like these. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not necessarily as intense as as well as even the moving house story at the beginning of the book. But, yeah, it, it definitely serves its purpose. It's entertaining. Um, you know, the art was nice. We we see here on the very first page of the story, the basically what one two the third panel. 
this picture, th- this panel is going to be the photograph that they referenced. And mm-hmm. it will be what we see at the end. So you see that and you, you, you know, it's just part of the story right now. But then by the end, it turns out to be like the, the title of the story. So I, I like the way that they uh, kind of made it made it a complete circle of the way yeah. the story is written. Yeah, good stuff. So, yeah, this Aaron Phillips guy. Yeah, he's a pretty he's a pretty big creep. Basically, he goes around getting these incriminating photos of people. And it seems like he even sets them up most of the time where, you know, he can then go back to, uh, I guess it's like a newspaper and sell them these photographs. It's almost like uh, like an evil version of Peter Parker. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's great. He just, yeah, he goes, sells the pictures, like all this stuff going on. I like how he, uh, you know, takes it back to the uh, newspaper guy and sells it to him. And he says, uh, the editor says, why do you do it, Phillips? Does it give you some sort of sadistic pleasure to destroy people, to crush them like dolls? And this Phillips says, there's a bit of the sadist in all of us, Alex, old boy. Remember, you're the editor of this rag. I only submit the pictures. And then the guy says, which I buy, pay exorbitant sums for out of my phone pocket. Because, and he goes, because you have to, dear Alex. We all make mistakes. Your only misfortune was that I caught you at it. So that's another where this is how he's making a living, taking these incriminating pictures. But also he can, you know, sell them to this guy only because he's got pictures of him. Right. Yeah. He forces the guy to pay for these to publish in the paper. It's extortion, basically. <laughs> all, all the way around. Yeah. He extorts the people that he takes the pictures of. He extorts the dude at the paper to publish the pictures to then be used to extort the people that he took the pictures of. So, yeah, his whole his whole thing is based on extorting everyone around him. Yeah. And it's funny. He says he has a another job for him. And uh, it's about a guy called Sandsfield. And he says, Senator Sandsfield of Kentucky, one of the old Southern guard. He's led the perfect public life, almost too good to be true. And there are rumors that it isn't rumors about a house. His wife died in it a year ago after she went mad. The senator's on a fact finding tour right now. The house is empty. No servants, nobody. And he, uh, uh, our uh, creepy uh, photographer here, Phillips, says, got you, chum. I'll make the first plane out. Expenses pay- paid, of course. Who knows? Might take a little paid vacation. <laughs> so this guy's a real creep, but I love the middle panel because anytime uh, comic book uh, writers and letters use these expressions to relay uh, time passing by, I love them. It, sometimes it's just one word, and it is here. Just later, dot, mm-hmm. dot, dot. <laughs> uh, yep. yep. <laughs> And here he is creeping up to uh, the House of Secrets. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm surprised there in the panel above it that he was, was somebody was able to get a photograph of the House of Secrets. Yeah, I'm not sure where this guy got it from. Maybe he's uh, a ghost too. This editor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> he, he's thinking to himself as he look comes walking up to the house. That's funny. Alex said this place would be deserted. Why all the lights? As you can see, every light is on in the house and. He says, maybe he's got stock in the light company. Who knows? First thing is, I'll get a few exterior clips. Bet the guy design, that designed this went nuts or something. Make a good human interest story. Got a feel about it. He tries to snap a picture of the house. And there's nothing on the picture. It's completely as if the house isn't there. Like, it's invisible because you can see the trees behind it mm-hmm. and everything else that's supposed to be there. So right. this is pretty cool. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. what, when, when was this published, did you say? 
They, yeah. they had Polaroid camera, and this is goofy of me to say, but they had Polaroid cameras in 69. Yeah, it is weird. He almost has a camera that looks just like very old school, like that you'd have to develop it. Not that mm-hmm. it would just come right out in a minute, but he does like a 58, 59, 60, abracadabra, and what the? <laughs> and okay, there's the yeah. picture. So yeah, he, he must have a Polaroid. I didn't think they were out that early, but maybe it didn't uh, even work. Uh, yeah, I, well, I mean, and yeah, I, I don't know. I, and it seems like I thought somebody referred to the word Polaroid, but maybe maybe it wasn't in this particular issue. And I'm just mixing, you know, several books up together or something. But, yeah, that, that definitely struck me because that looks like just a, you know, a standard, uh, you know, I don't know, 35 millimeter, like old school camera with a flash, of course. Uh, but yet he's holding the picture here, counting to 60 seconds and, and then looks at it. So I was like. Wow, they had they even knew what a Polaroid was back then. So I, I'm I'm not sure. I, I'm maybe maybe I'm just goofy, <laughs> and, you know. Yeah, it does. It does say um, he doesn't actually like call it Polaroid, but like you said, that was the first one I knew of that you know there ever was. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, good good grab there though, because yeah, that didn't even dawn on me. But I thought, oh yeah, I don't. I thought they didn't come out till the seventies, but maybe I, they were floating around that time. I don't know. <laughs> But yeah, he's going to go in the house now, too, and take some pictures, and it's hilarious. He opens the front door, and he said, this place gives me the creeps. And he's like, why are the lights on? And he's like, that sound, the wind, and you hear this whoosh sound, and the house is going crazy already. He opened the front door, and it's like all wavy, like it's bending mm-hmm. and contorting, and so is the staircase. And he's like, you know, what is going on here? Uh, all of a sudden, there's a candle that starts burning and going wild, and he notices how, you know, there's a candle on. But it doesn't flicker, even though there's this crazy wind going. Yeah, <laughs> it's really yep. it's really cool. Making that real whistly kind of noise that you always hear in in uh, big drafty houses. Yeah, so he's like wigging out a little bit here already, but he takes the candle and he heads upstairs and he's looking around and he opens one of the doors and he's you know the caption reads about the fear of the unknown and you know. Uh, there's really good setup because, you know, it's it's more of a visual setup than it is words like there's, you know, on story page six, there's nine panels, one horizontal and then four vertical and then four vertical again. Mm-hmm. And it's a really good, sh- you know, visual setup of him, you know, going up the stairs and, you know, the, the ever present narrator here saying, you know, do you even have a conscience, Aaron? Is that what makes you afraid? What is it you fear, Aaron? Is it revenge? Is it the fear of vengeance from those you have destroyed, or is it more basic, more primitive fear, the fear of the unknown? And I really like that page. It's excellent. He opens his door, and there's just this blinding light. And then, like you said, you see on the very last story page, for, or the next to the last story page, you just see click, and there he is with his hands you know, above, like guarding his face as if something's mm-hmm. coming after him. Really good stuff there. Yeah, it makes you makes you wonder what he saw in the light. I mean, we never saw it, so but mm-hmm. definitely by his reaction, he saw something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's I, I do like how you know they say you know on the page before the fear of the unknown, and you know it's kind of like make up your own mind what he saw, and sometimes you can make up your own uh, your fears of what you can think up on your own, even more so what can be put on a comic. Uh, yeah, really, your your imagination is worse than what somebody else can do. Yeah. Yeah, it's so funny, too, because then, you know, it just switches right back to Cain and Abel uh, talking to each other. And Cain says, you know, like, oh, I got to go. It's almost dawn as if he's like a vampire. and He's going to die because of the sunlight. Mm-hmm. And he says, my place is just on the other side of the cemetery. Come over at night and see me around midnight. And Abel says, 
my head's still a bit sore from the last time we met Kane, but we'll see. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that's great. And then here, uh, you know, Kane's walking away. It says, don't hold that against me. Accidents will happen. And he says, take care of yourself, brother Kane. Good night. And yeah, yeah, it's too funny. And then he goes upstairs and, uh, you know, he's just uh, talking to himself here. It's not even like an inner monologue. He's talking out loud to himself. And he's like, sometimes there's more truth in fiction than in imagination. How could I have known? How can you tell me? And he's still talking to this real estate agent guy. I'm assuming Goldie was saying his name was maybe. No, I, I think if in the future, Goldie turns out to be something like a little imp or a little demon or something like that. Oh, somebody expounds on that later on. O'Brien. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I guess what now we don't know that yet, but I think ultimately mm-hmm. it, it is a creature that either he has met in the past or it is actually here and it's just invisible for anybody else to see except him. And they just don't show the creature until farther on in the history of Abel. You know, finally, we as the uh, as the audience are able to see this this little creature. But I think it's like, you know, I almost envision like one of the little um, on the shoulder. You know, you've got the, the good person on one shoulder and the bad person. Oh, on the other yeah. Talk to you. <laughs> Goldie is like one of those. But you never really know, I think, if it's good or bad. It, it just is. Yeah, because you see him speaking, like I said, as if someone is there, but you see no one. You don't even see, you know, a shadow. You see nothing, absolutely nothing, as if you think he's talking to somebody that's not really there, as if he's, you know, crazy. Right, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And it is great, though. And then as he walks upstairs, there's a door with a light on, and then out from underneath comes a picture, and it's a picture of that Phillips guy. (laughs) Yeah, in that same pose with with his two hands up. Yeah, and there's a caption that says, and then the house is silent for the moment. But if you listen closely enough to the creaking boards, the moaning wind, you can hear it shouting its tales, the tales which to it are but memories. And (laughs) it's really good stuff. But then, but it says, but the silence will be broken again when the next issue of House of Secrets reaches your neighborhood newsstands. (laughs) The cool thing about the the photograph is, you know, of, of course, there's only so many ways that they could have a house, you know, produce or show a, a photograph. But if you think about it, this photograph coming out from under the door is like a Polaroid coming out of the slot of the camera. Like it was made <laughs> on one side and then it comes out of the slot to where you can see it. And th- that it, this put me in mind of the, the old Polaroid slipping out of the, the slot on the camera. I, I can just see this as he's walking up. It's not necessarily all the way out of the slot, but he does see it like finish coming out of underneath the door so that he can finally see the whole picture. So it was kind of moving as he came up and looked around the corner at it. Yeah. So he's basically telling a story of something that really happened. Uh, yeah. Is, yeah. Which is really cool. I, I do like that. You know, like how uh, uh, Conway, uh, you know, weave that into here. That was really cool. And I did just quick look it up. You're not going to believe this, Ed. Okay. So the first commercially viable instant camera. It was credited to an American scientist named Edwin Land, who unveiled the first commercial instant camera, the Model 95 Land camera, in 1948. <laughs> wow. Okay. Holy so, crap. So we were really I, off. <laughs> uh, yeah, really off. Uh, yeah. And and I will say for myself, yes, I have been to college, but I was not a history major. So yeah, that no, does not I, surprise me. I didn't know that. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, yeah, like you said, Polaroids. 
those were just, I remember being a kid and those were a big deal. So that's why mm -hmm. I thought, oh, maybe they were made in like 1970, 71, 72, somewhere in there. And that's why they were a big thing when I was a kid and everybody had one or wanted one. And uh, that's crazy. I did not realize they had been around instant cameras for that long. <laughs> in, in our defense, maybe that time frame that we're thinking is a time when the technology became cheap enough that everybody could have one. And so yeah, maybe, yep. maybe that's what it was kind of like, you know, once upon a time, this this thing that we're sitting in front of here called a computer took <laughs> up a whole room. Mm -hmm. But yeah. at that point that it got to be small to where you could set it on your desk, that's when everybody was able to buy one. And so that's when, you know, home computers or the, the PC kind of blew up. So maybe maybe that uh, Polaroid kind of technology was the same kind of thing. Probably until a, a big company got a hold of the technology and was able to mass produce it. It was probably very, very expensive. Right. Yeah. You you know, as long as the U.S. military held on to it, the regular people weren't going to get it. So they must have let loose of it. Yeah. So that's why the plebeians like you and me. <laughs> Absolutely. That's how we were able to afford it. Yes. <laughs> that's how we thought. That's why we thought it came out in the 70s. <laughs> right. We thought it was new and cool. But the government is like, no, dog, we've had this since the 40s. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Fantastic. So, <laughs> all right. Well, yeah, man, that was a great issue. This was like really cool because again, it's a, it's a landmark issue. It's the first, you know, able in the house of secrets. So I, I really think this was a great one, man. I'm glad you chose this one because otherwise it would have taken me forever and a day to get to this one. So thanks for uh, picking this one, man. This was great. Certainly. Yeah. That's, that's definitely why it's always stood out to me is because not only was it good and had these different stories really using Abel, but this is when you trace back his history, this is really the first place that he, he really popped up. And certainly this is his first uh, house of secrets uh, narrator uh, ownership of the house kind of story. Yeah. And I mean, don't hold this against me out there listeners, but you know, I'm, I still consider myself pretty much a DC newbie. Uh, DC comics are still very new to me. Like I said, I've only really been seriously buying a good bit of DC for about 10 years now, but I had no idea this was the issue where any of that happened. Like, you know, the, the house and moving and, uh, able and that stuff. I had no clue. And it does make sense that it's the first issue in volume one of the omnibus. It starts at 81. Oh, does the omnibus? Okay, well then there you go. Yep. And that's so that's why it starts there. Yeah. Yep. So I was just like, I wonder why Ed picked this one. And I thought, huh, that's wild. This is the first issue in the omnibus of volume one edition. Okay, cool. And then I'm like, aha, that's why he picked it. And there that's it is. Why it's yeah. The first issue. <laughs> so yeah, I got a good chuckle over that. But uh all right, my friend. Well, we're gonna wrap this one up here, but uh I know you uh, are on Twitter or you're at Teal Productions, correct? Yes, sir. And then if anybody's looking for your other work, you have a Dr. Fade podcast. You are, you're part of a Superman podcast. Why don't you talk about them? Uh, yeah, I, I, my, my voice, at least, does does get around a little bit. I'm pretty much a homebody. But, yeah, I've, I've got uh, the Superman Super Show with uh, Stephen Orr. I've got uh, Comic Addiction with Chris Parton. And then I talk about on my own shows – uh, Dr. Fade, I talk about Usagi Ujimbo, uh, I talk about with my wife, uh, Thor from Marvel, the Marvel Thor book, and uh, another one that I started this year that just uh, basically what I've been talking about is early 80s, like black and white books from like uh, Pacific Comics and Noble mm. Comics and uh, 
places like that, but mainly it, it's just a place where I can just, I've always wanted to listen to podcasts talking about those books. And since I never was able to find one, I just finally sat down and said, okay, well, I'll just make one that I would want to listen to. And so I, I talk about those kind of books. Yeah. So you are out there floating around in many different places. So everybody look up as, cause he p- tweets out all this stuff on Twitter at Teal Productions. Like I said, if you want to find uh, him that way, or like you said, there's a, uh, four different podcasts you can find him on and uh, check him out there. So uh, once again, thank you, Ed, for coming on here with this one. This was fantastic. Great pick. And uh, you and I are even going to be uh, talking about quite a few more of these down the road. I, I think so. And, and I appreciate the invite on your part, sir. It's, it's been fun. Awesome. So, all right, well, I'm going to get out of here quick and then be back in a second to wrap up the show. pounding again and it's coming from inside i ain't going in there no way how about that way i feel like i've been dipped in ink and let loose in a coal mine let's hold hands so we don't get separated for a girl you sure got cold clammy hands velma your hands are like a couple of fish right out of the lake i think i feel a doorknob Open it and let's get out of here. Yeah, out. <laughs> Yikes, there is a headless specter. <laughs> Yo! All right, everybody, that's going to wrap up this episode. Once again, I want to thank Ed for being on. Ed's a really good guy. Definitely uh, look him up on the social medias and check out his podcast. You know, he's got some really fun stuff going on there, whether he's the host or the guest or, you know, uh, secondary host, whatever you want to say. Uh, A lot of fun stuff going on there. There's not too many Dr. Fate-centered podcasts out there. And, yeah, there are a lot of Superman shows, but uh, he's got a a good partner there, and they do a good job with the uh, Superman Super Show as well. Definitely check them out and everything else he has going on. And, uh, yeah, thanks for listening in. Catch you next time.